You know, one of the things that this church historically uh, and many churches used to do, and it's not something that we do because of habit, it's truth. When somebody would say God is good, others would say all the time. Because he is, whether we recognize it or not. Unfortunately, too many times we walk through our, our daily life and we don't see all the goodness of God. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to turning around. Don't we always just naturally tend towards moving towards good? Maybe not. You know, sometimes we, we get drawn, we get pulled by temptation, but God is pulling us with his goodness, with his love, with his kindness, with his faithfulness. Um, all these things that God does, when we really recognize that sin does have pleasure for a season, but it ends up in death, and God is good all the way from the beginning to end, and we can, we can be confident that that goodness is going to show up. And do you know what goodness uh, in the Greek is defined as? Generosity. Generosity. God is generous. And we see it in the first action he takes towards human beings from the standpoint, and maybe not the first, but when he sent his son. Who here is willing to give up one of their relatives for people you don't know and people that don't like you? I know that's an obvious question. It's kind of a silly question. But I'm telling you, that's exactly what God did. God gave up his son for those that didn't know him, didn't care about him, and even hated him. That's generosity. And that generosity draws us, draws us to him. And God is generous. When I've been looking at and studying this, this portion of Scripture that we've been looking at for quite a while, which is really what God has been helping us understand what he's trying to do in our life and through our life. Uh, in John chapter 15, it's, it's Jesus is speaking and teaching one of his last teachings to his disciples. After he left the upper room, after the Last Supper, he was traveling across the Temple Mount, and uh, he traveled to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he began to teach them about a vine. And this wasn't unfamiliar to Israel. To the Jews, it was very familiar. On the Temple Mount, in the temple, there were all sorts of carvings of vine because God had told them that, that they, Israel, were like a vine. And unfortunately, he had planted the best vine in the best soil with the best sun and the best nutrients and the best rain. And then he said, Israel, that vine bore wild fruit. And you are that vine. God gave his best to Israel. And Israel kept going off. Kept going this way and that way. After other things that they thought would satisfy and fulfill and provide for them what they thought they were lacking and what they needed. But the truth is, it always got them in trouble just like it does with us. When we take off from God and go towards anything or anyone other than God first, we're setting ourselves up. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment and for loss because we're moving away from the only one that has always loved us, that will always love us, that has always had our best interest at heart. And, and obviously in this fallen world, we need help. And the help that we can get from God far surpasses anyone or anything or everything all put together. And when we look at this, this teaching, Jesus does. Uh, he says, I'm the vine, the true vine. And that's where he was showing them. He was speaking to his disciples who understood who the vine was. It was Israel, but they weren't the true vine because they kept going wild. Vines gone wild. It's what, what we do. We as human beings, apart from God, just go wild. We, we go into things that, that are going to destroy our lives and rob us of the very things that Jesus came to give us. But he said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Right here, we see the father and the son and what they do for us. We're the branches. And what does it say 
is, is provided for, who provides for the branches? The vine? Oh, you got to do better than that this morning. I'll tell you what, we're going to pray. So if you'd bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Father, I pray right now that you would use me to speak your word, uh, a word in due season, that it would be a rhema, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying through your word to the church. Now, Father, we thank you that we have the freedom and the privilege and the opportunity in this country to hear your word without fear, without retribution. And so, Father, help us to make the most of this time. We know that you have a word for every one of us. And so, Father, help us to recognize the rhema word that you have for us today, receive it, and begin to act on it as an everyday part of our life. Help it to mold our lives, to adjust, to become more more what you have for us to be so that we can do more of what you have for us to do. And Father, we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us. You're working by your spirit and your word. You are faithful to work in us, to will and to do your good pleasure. And so we thank you right now, Father, have your way. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our hearts. And have your way in our lives. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so God's been very generous. He, he gave his son. But right here we see that God has set up where we don't have to be planted ourselves into the ground and try and get our roots down and try and do all these other things. We, as a branch, connect with the vine. The vine's already established. It's already strong. It's already alive. And, and God says, here's what, what you have. You just connect. You connect. And then the vine dresser, the vine dresser takes care of the other stuff, takes care of all the things that need to be done that we can't do ourselves, but we have to do in partnership with God because this is all about a partnership. Our life in Christ, our journey in this life and eternity is going to be a partnership with God. God has his part and we have our part. Um, who does the big part? Oh, come on, guys. Okay, yeah, at least acknowledge the fact that God does the big part. Sometimes we want to change the world. We want to do all this. All, the, the place we need to change is right here. This is where the world changes because we change. Because we can't. I can't change you. You can't change me. But I can change me. God's given me authority to change me. And when I change me, then everybody I interact with, there's a change there. Now, how far that change goes depends on how we allow other people to influence us. But we don't change because of them. We change because we choose to. And God wants and knows we need to change. There's not a one of us that doesn't need change. But God never needs to change because God is perfect and God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So in all of our lives here on earth, there is an adjustment we need to make. And the only way we can make that adjustment is with the help of God, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that's truth, to adjust to that truth. And um, so when we look at this, we see the two stages of the three stages that we've been learning about. There are three stages in fruit bearing, and Jesus told us in, in this chapter why fruit bearing was so important. Number one, it brings gl great glory to the Father. Is that important? It should be. It should be one of the most important things in our life, that we bring great glory to the Father. Instead of thinking about bringing gl great glory to ourselves or to an organization or to anything else, great glory to the Father. It also, Jesus said, it proves that you're my true dis disciples. When you, you bear fruit, when I bear fruit, it proves that we are his true disciples. How many of you know a lot of people call themselves Christians? How many of you know if you looked at their life, you would never know it? Well, that's where the Bible says that they will know us by our fruit. We, we can't just profess something without have corresponding character, actions. And, and that's where it's important that we realize this fruit bearing bears witness. 
that we are true disciples of Jesus. And Jesus also said, this is what I chose you and appointed you to do or ordained you to do, to bear fruit that lasts. So fruit bearing is really important. But right here we see the first stage of fruit bearing because it's a partnership. God initiates, but we choose and should participate because God's not going to do it all on his own. God's not, never going to force any of us to do anything. He invites us. He welcomes us to participate. When he begins to work in an area, he wants us to participate because he's not going to force anything on us. So the first, first stage of fruit bearing is where it says uh, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Or a better translation is he lifts up. He, he lifts us up. Why? Because we tend to grow down. The vine grows down into the dirt. We tend to be pulled by sin in this world. This is a fallen world. It's pulling on us all the time. You don't know it. I don't know it always. But it's just like gravity. How many of you feel or are aware of gravity all the time? You know, we usually don't recognize it as that. There are things that would cause us to realize that if we drop something, gravity pulls it down. But just like that, it's the same thing with sin. Sin is pulling on us. The fallenness of this world pulls on us. We don't always recognize it. And God is lifting us. And the way he lifts us, we found out in Hebrews chapter 5, is he chastens us. Chastening is not a word we like, but we need because we don't understand the, the uh, definition of it. It means to educate, to instruct, to tutor, to mentor, to train, to nurture, to correct, and to discipline. All of us need that because we become a part of a new kingdom. We need the instruction. We need the mentoring. We need the training. We need the nurturing. We need the discipline. And a discipline means to bring to a place of order and obedience. How many of you could use a little more, don't raise your hands, a little more order and obedience to God in your life? I think we all could put both hands up because we know to be obedient to God. Obedience, the Bible says, is better than sacrifice. When we're obedient to God, we're saying yes to the best. Who doesn't want to say yes to the best? Right? But oftentimes we say yes to what we think is really good, but how many of you know good isn't always best? And that's where we can't depend on ourselves. We, we have to trust in God because he's the only one that knows and does best all the time. But this lifting, this discipline is where God helps us say no to the act of sin that's still in our life. When we get saved, we're forgiven. But does that mean sin no longer has a place in our life? Okay, let me ask it this way because it'll be easier to answer if we want to answer it. When we get saved, can we still sin? Absolutely. We can still sin and we do sin. And, and what, what is the result of sin? Death. Now, if you knew that somebody you loved was doing something that was going to bring death and destruction to their life, what would you do? Would you just sit by and say, oh, I can't believe they're doing that? Or would you actively get involved? I guess you'd sit by. No, I get actively involved, but again, understanding that we're limited in what we can make somebody else do, and God will never make anybody do anything. And if a child ran into the street and sat in the street, what would you want to do to save that child's life? Run them, get them, and take them out, but they're going to go back if that's what they want to do. And God will go right to where we are, and he'll encourage us, but he won't force us. And that's why he'll, through his word, he'll help us see where there's sin in our life, things that we need to be saying no to, removing that, releasing that sin that's active in our life to no longer be active because we have to choose to do that. God won't choose that for us. He'll show us what we need to choose, but then we need to choose it. You know, sometimes I wish God would just do it. But God loves us too much to take control of our lives. We have to give control. We have to choose to yield to God, to follow God. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's a choice. It's a freedom. God will never, never take your freedom away from you. 
even our freedom to sin. And so that first stage is him disciplining us. And we have to choose to participate where we, we release the sin that we have had active in our life. The second stage, it says where there is fruit, he wants more fruit. To go from fruit to more fruit, he prunes us. And that pruning process is again initiated by God, just like the lifting process is. God initiates it, but we choose to participate. God initiates pruning. He begins to point at things in our lives that are going on that are dividing our attention, dividing our passion, dividing our devotion to God. And they may be really good things, but how many of you know every good thing isn't a God thing? You know what the enemy of best is? Good. Do you want good or do you want the best? You know, some people are going to settle for good. And you can. God will let you settle for good. But it's, it's going to be sad when we get to heaven and we find out what God had available to us. And we didn't choose it because we just, we just were comfortable. We just wanted to be comfortable and we wanted it to be convenient. And... Uh, God wants the best for you. That's why he says he takes us from glory to glory to glory. Ever-increasing glory. God wants your life to be better and more glorious than last year. Now, th that doesn't mean that you won't have any trials. doesn't mean you won't have any tests. You won't have any battles or difficulties. You're going to have those. As a matter of fact, the more you go from glory to glory to glory, the enemy is going to take, take notice of that, and he's going to come after you more. Now, you may say, that's why I don't want to go. But don't give in to the concern that the enemy is going to attack. The, the great thing about that is as we go from glory to glory, we're changed. We become more like Jesus. We become more in line, more yielded, more dependent, more trusting in God. And the enemy sees that and takes a greater aim at us. We have greater victories. See, many of us, we want great testimonies. Okay, how many of you want a great testimony? Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to get set up. Well, if you're going to have a great testimony, you're going to go through a great test. How many want great tests? None of us. None of us want great tests. But we all want great testimonies, and so we want the victory without the battle, which doesn't happen. The greater the battle, the greater the celebration of the victory. And God wants you to celebrate greatly. He wants you to show the enemy as defeated. He wants us to walk and live in the victory of Jesus. But the only way that happens is we submit ourselves to him. We allow him to have his way. We choose to partner with him and let him guide and govern our lives. And so this second stage is really the removing of self, where it's not the bad things. We're already taken care of. We're realizing sin needs to be removed, active sin in our life. Now we have to deal with self because self will rob us of what the Savior has for us. See, you and I can't serve ourselves and serve Jesus. We're either going to serve Jesus or we're going to serve something else. And the moment we serve something else, we experience loss and we don't even know it because we think it's best. Just like Eve did just before the fall. And when, when we come to that place of pruning, God puts his finger on some things that are good in our lives, that we like, that we become comfortable doing. And God is saying, that's got to go. Well, it's not bad. No, it's not bad. But what it's doing is dividing our lives. It's causing us to be divided between God and something else. And you may say, well, gee, you know, I don't, I don't. How can you live a life that's so devoted to God? Well, we looked at Jesus' life and saw that he lived a life that was completely focused and devoted to his Father. Not to his own will, not to his own pleasure, but to, for his Father's pleasure, for his Father's will to be done. And, and so that's where we need to be. We need to be denying self. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you have to deny yourself. First thing he said. 
And that's a very uncomfortable thing for us to do because we like us. We like what we like. We want what we want, don't we? And we want what we want when we want it. There's a song, and I don't know who sang it. I, I just am hearing this. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. That's, that's the song of the human being. But the song of the kingdom is, I'll put myself aside to let God have his way so I can help others get ahead. This is the kingdom of God. And we're in it, and we need to live the kingdom principles. And so this, these two first stages are the stages of God initiating, and we choose to participate. But then it goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, go ahead to the last part of it, John. Abide in me, Jesus again, abide in me and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do. Is, is that uncomfortable for any of us here? Because I'm telling you, when I first read that early on in my Christian walk, I was like, What? Come on, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. But this tells us in two places. Jesus is telling us that we, apart from God, can do nothing, which is true and not true. We can do all sorts of things. We're doing them. We're not involving God in all of it, but we're doing it. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 13, we see Apostle Paul writing by inspiration of Holy Spirit telling us we can do all sorts of great things. We can speak all sorts of great things, do all sorts of great things. We can sacrifice all sorts of great things. But none of it amounts to anything. It amounts to nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without love, it amounts to nothing. And yet we can waste our lives. I didn't say spend our lives. I said waste our lives doing all sorts of good works, not directed by God, because everything good is not God. And that's where we have to choose to abide in him. This is the third stage, and this is not God-initiated. The first two are God initiates. God initiates them. He begins through his word and his spirit to put his finger and show us what sin in our lives. We don't know what sin is because we've been living without God. We didn't know gossiping was sin. We talk about all sorts of people all sorts of ways and we continue to do it until God says, do you see in my word where it says that, that you shouldn't gossip? You shouldn't be a talebearer. Now at that moment... God initiates it, he shows us in his word, and then we choose, am I going to do anything about it? Yep, I see it there, God, and go on talking about people. Or gluttony. Or lust. Or any of the other sins, and God helps us see this, and all of a sudden we have an awareness of what God's pointing at. He is Lifting our insight and our understanding to what truth is. And if we, don't do, if we do truth, what does truth do in our lives? Sets us free. But if we don't do truth, it will cause us not to have the freedom. We'll decrease in our freedom and liberty in Christ. And we choose it by what we're choosing. But in that moment, we see God shows us, he reveals to us through his word and convicts us by his spirit. And then we have to choose whether we're going to partner with God or we're going to say, God, take a hike. Oh, we wouldn't do that. When we ignore him, it's basically us saying, I don't want you involved in that area of my life. Because there are sins in our life that we like. And so if we like the sin, we've got to like the death. If we don't like the death, then we shouldn't like the sin. We need to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And understand God loves all people, but God hates all sin. 
And why does God hate all sin? Because what it does to your life and my life, it destroys our life. It robs us of life. And so, God, when we start to abide in him, we start to connect with him, we recognize, we do it because if, now I know Jeremy is a lifeguard, I don't know if any of the rest of you have ever been trained in lifeguarding, but one of the things that, that we need to realize is when somebody's drowning, can they help themselves? As far as I know, they can't. You correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, thank you, sir. Thanks for not rebuking me right now. <laughs> but, but somebody is drowning. That means they can't do anything. They are, they are panicking because everything's out of control. They can't do what they need to do to save their lives. And I want you to know we're all drowning apart from God. This is way over our head. This is not something we are going to feel comfortable and confident in. But when the lifeguard gets out there, they take control. When you get out to a, a, somebody that's, that's drowning, Jeremy, uh, what do you tell them? And I know I apologize. I didn't talk to you before the service to give you a chance to think about this. But do you t- give them any instructions? No, stay, calm. stay calm. Do you tell them what you're going to do? Okay, try to tell them what they're going to do. And then they have to be willing to stay calm and let the lifeguard do his part. And they do their part by staying calm. And the lifeguard brings them into the shore. Because they give themselves to the lifeguard fully. Folks, we've got a lifeguard. His name is Jesus. We've been drowning in sin in, in the death of this world, and Jesus has come, he swam out to meet us. And we're flailing away. And he says, Be calm. What do you mean, be calm? I... Be calm. I'm going to take care of you. And at that moment, that person that's drowning leans in to the lifeguard. When we abide, we lean in to God. We realize in that moment we can't do anything that's going to help the situation except staying connected with the lifeguard. You and I can't help in any of these situations except initially staying connected to Jesus. Now, after that, there are things that we can do. But right here, he said, you can do nothing. Man, that's offensive. People get offended when you tell them, you can't do anything. What do you mean I can't do anything? And the Bible tells us in the last days, many will be offended. We're seeing it. And many will be deceived. If you, don't, if you think you can do something without Jesus, you're deceived. I'm deceived. We're deceived. And where there's deception, there's what? Loss. There's loss. And... and so we, we've, got to, we've got to accept this. We've got to believe this because if not, we're going to keep trying. If we don't believe the lifeguard coming to us can save us, we believe we can save ourselves, then we're going to fight against the lifeguard. If somebody that's drowning, Jeremy, fights against you, what do you do? Go underwater. Why? Because they don't want to be there. They'll let go, hopefully. Now, God's not going to duck out under you, but I'm going to tell you something. You're never going to overwhelm him. Don't fight against God. Allow God to have his way. And, and that's the moment we acknowledge and accept the fact that without him we can do nothing, is the moment we begin to lean into him. We begin to do this third stage, we abide. And, and in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said these words. He said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do and what he, 
And whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am totally trusting, I am totally dependent, I am totally relying on the Father. Just like we need to be. Totally dependent, totally trusting, totally relying. That's what happens when we abide. We rely on God. The first two stages of the lifting or the disciplining, it's dealing with active sin, removing that, us, us choosing to release active sin in our life. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going I'm to turn towards you. I'm going to submit to you, God. I'm not going to continue to walk in that sin. And then the pruning. Uh, God, whatever you put your finger on, whatever you want gone, it's gone. Why? Because those two things take up space in our life, take up attention, take up affection, take up passion in our lives that divide us, a house divided or a life divided, will not be standing in the end. And so those two things take care of things to get rid of them, to make room for God to be able to fill and flow and flood our lives more fully than ever before. And that's what abiding does. Abiding is where we connect to God. When we connect, when we choose, we get these other things out of our life and we choose to make that time to connect to God, to expect from God like never before. Because we expect a lot of things from a lot of different sources. We're expecting our job to pay us. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong, but recognize your job is not your source. Or the government is not your source. That God is the provider. The Apostle Paul said, my God will supply all your needs. Now, he may use a job. He may use a government. He may use all sorts of things. But understand, it's him. Don't ever get your sights off the source. And who's the source of every good and perfect gift? God. But it's very easy. And it happens very quickly for us to move our sight, our expectation, our reliance, our dependence from God to what God uses. And the way you know that is if something starts to happen in your job and you start to feel anxious about it, you've got to realize that you have looked at your job as your source. Because God can change your job. I don't know who needs to hear this, but whoever it is, listen. Your job can change as long as your source doesn't. As much as you appreciate your job, you need God. You don't need that job because that job was given to you by God and he can give you another one. Yeah, it's getting quiet in here. <laughs> but Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing because he recognized that he needed to live a life dependent and trusting and relying on the Father, just like we do. And that's what, when we abide, that's what happens. We, we begin to rely on God like never before. Let's go, back to, let's, let's go back to verse 4 and 5 of John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. Who makes the first move? Abide in me and I in you. We do. We initiate and God participates. When we choose to abide in him, then he'll choose to move towards us. He's not going to force us. He's very, very close. How close was he to Peter when Peter sank when he was walking on the water? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Well, how did Jesus save Peter? Pretty close. Just remember that. The next time you think you're going down or you can't make it any farther, realize how close you are to getting to Jesus. He's right there. He's right there. But we choose to abide in him and then he'll, he'll fill anything we give him. But he won't force anything on us. This is a very important truth in the kingdom of God. Because we need to realize we're space makers. We need to be making space for God. And for God to fill more of our lives, more of our former life has to go. 
more of the former ways we used to do things need to go to yield to the way God does them. No longer does self lead, the Spirit of God leads. We're not supposed to walk in self, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. We're, we're not supposed to be ruled by sin. We're supposed to be governed by God. And we make that choice. I make that choice. Every time I make a choice, I'm either allowing God or something else to take the place of God. And I know and you know, we all know we're sitting here with the knowledge we need to change the way we should, and yet many times we don't. Because do you know what the number one motivator of change is? It's not knowledge. People always know enough. It's pain. Most change comes because of pain. We have so much pain in our life, we can't keep going the way we're going, and we look for an out. God doesn't want you to be a person that changes because of pain, but he'll let you get to that place because of your choice. But God wants us to change because we love him and we trust him. We, we really believe we can't do it on our own. And we really believe with him all things are possible. We really believe that even though something out there looks like the best, it's not. Because the only one that always gives us the best is God. And so we don't choose anything other than God. And we grow. We grow and grow and grow. Understand that the stage one and stage two and stage three of abiding, of 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 pruning, of lifting, of disciplining, are always at work in our lives. We're always going to need active sin removed from our life. We're always going to need the good things that keep us from the God things removed from our life. The things that divide our attention and our affection and our allegiance from God, we need those removed from our life. So these will always be ongoing. And when those things have happened, then we need to press more into God than ever before making more room for God than ever before. But this, this word abide, it's an amazing word because in seven verses in John 15, it occurs 11 times. It's one of those things that in the Gospel of John, it occurs 40 times. In the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it appears 27 times. This is a very, very important principle for our lives, abiding. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this for a while because it's going to take a while. How many of you know the first time you hear something, you don't always get it? That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing <laughs> by the word of God. And I know some people have taken issue or been a little questioning about why do you always repeat? Because repetition is the motor of learning. What do you do in schools? Teachers, do you teach one thing one time and you go on to the next? Or do you keep building? You build on it. You remind. You go back. Because we've got to be having that built into us. Just because we hear it one time doesn't mean we got it. And so uh, maybe, maybe I do it to a fault but I'm trying to do what I believe God wants me to do. And if you don't need it, I'll tell you I need it. So bear with me. But this word abide, this word abide appears. Abide in me and I in you. And, and it, it says in verse 4, abide in me. Abide in me, abide in the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me. That's where we need to abide, abide in him, when we connect to him. This word abide is, is a very important word, and this is what it means, to stay in a given place, state, or relationship. To stay fixed, attached, not moving, not departing. It means to stand firm or steadfast. It means to continue, persevere, endure, or remain. It means to dwell, to make a home in. We don't use the word, but it has been used. I was at my abode. 
I don't even know if I used that right. If you're an English teacher, come talk to me after service. But uh, an abode is a home, where we make our home. And, and isn't home, it should be, isn't home a place where we want to be? We feel secure. We feel comfortable. We feel confident. It should be. That's what it should be. And that's what God wants us to have in him. That's why we want to get home. There's so many songs written about home. And how we want to go home. I just want to go home. Well, you know, heaven is our home, but until we get there, our home is in Christ. And he is in us. And when we make more room for him, life is what it should be. It also, to abide means to be present continuously and consistently. Now, this is a problem. This is a real problem for us. We live in an age like no other in all of human history. That we are in proximity to each other, but we're not present with each other. Because we are so distracted by our electronic devices. Now, are they bad? No, they're not bad. It's just what we choose to allow them to be in our lives. You know, our, our cell phones, our computers, all those things, they give us a clear indication of how connected we can be with God. If we would think of God, if we would just reference God as much as we check our phones, our lives would be drastically different. I want to challenge you with something. I've challenged myself with this. Every time you want to check your phone, take a moment, pause, and just check in with God. What do you mean, check in with God? What I mean is, let him know you know that he's there. Thanks for being there, Lord. Let him know you love him. I love you, Lord. Let him know you appreciate him. Thank you, Lord. And then take an extra second. Anything you want to tell me, Lord. And listen. Be present. Pause. You're going to be surprised because you're going to start hearing things that you think is you, but it's him. You're going to hear things that you don't even, it's going to be hard for you to accept. Because in that moment that you pause, do you want to tell me anything, Lord? You're going to hear, I love you. I love you. And if you don't hear it, then you're not listening because God's telling you that all the time. God told us that first and foremost in giving his son in a way that we could see in time that we didn't deserve it. And you may be sitting here today saying, I don't deserve to hear that from God. It's not about what you deserve. It's about what he thinks and how he feels about you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you and nothing changes that. And he's always trying to get through to you that he loves you. And if we allow him to get through to us, our lives are going to be radically different. We're not going to live in a way trying to prove our worth to God or anybody else. We're going to realize we're loved by God. We're valued by God. We're priceless to God. It's so important. It's so important. So when we, when we come to that place of being present with God, really being present with God, uh, Brother Lawrence, who was a, a monk, I don't know how better to say it, wrote a book, Practicing the Presence of God. Everything he did, he, he forced himself, it was intentional, to become aware of God because God's there. Whatever you're doing, if you're taking a shower, where's God? He's there. Oh, really? He knows what you look like? When, when, when you're sleeping and you wake up with a fright, who's there? God. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, God, there's no one closer to you than God. 
The more we become God conscious, the better off we're going to be. Because then we aren't going to try and do anything in ourselves. We're going to recognize, oh my gosh, God's here. Well, let's, let's find out what he wants to do. And it changes our life. And we become fruitful the way God intended us to be. People start seeing a difference in our life. Man, there's peace in our life and there's joy and there's hope. We're, we're patient, we're kind, we're generous, we're self-controlled, we're faithful, unlike the world around us. So abide in him and he'll abide in us. We can't do anything without him, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abiding, being connected. John the Baptist, the, Jesus tells us that John the Baptist was the greatest of all that preceded him. And, and John the Baptist in John chapter 3 verse 30 said this. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. It doesn't say he maybe will, and maybe I will. This is, this is a, a, a proclamation of how things are supposed to work. He must increase, I must decrease. Why is that? Because the more of my life I'm running, the more problems I'm going to have. The more of my life that he's running, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems. But in every problem, there'll be a provision. If you and I realize we can't escape the problems in this world until we go on to the next part of life. Because they're always going to be here. You and I are in this world, but not of this world. If we can't escape the problems, then we need the provision in the problems. And that's what God does when we choose to turn to him and abide in him. Make room for him in our lives. Jesus wasn't living a life without problems. He had bigger problems than most all of us. But in the midst of every one of his problems, he had a provision. Because he relied on a person. The person of Holy Spirit who represented his father. Just like we have Holy Spirit to rely on. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, this again shows us how important this all is. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. End up obsessed measuring their... We're always looking at us. Can we do it? Can we do it? Oh, yeah, well, I can do it. And then we fall down and we, we dust ourselves off and we give ourselves a pep talk or the enemy gets in on it and, and just tears us apart and condemns us, makes us feel terrible about ourselves. If they think they can do it on their own, they end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find God's spirit in them, living and breathing God. All of a sudden, God's living bigger in your life than ever before. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what other people need in our life? They don't need more of us. They need more of God in us. So the fruit, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of good works, the fruit of salvation would be experienced by all the people around us. Verse 6, obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life, a full life. Attention to God. That's what abiding is. It's turning our attention from the sin that has had our attention and our affection and our allegiance, from ourselves, what we think is good and, and going to work out really awesome, to turning our attention to God, trusting God, allowing Him to have His way, allowing Him to guide, allowing Him to govern us, allowing Him to say yes to this and, and show us what we need to say yes and no to. 
And then in verse 9 and 11 in Romans chapter 8, it says, but if God himself has taken up residence, that's abiding, taken up residence in your life, you could hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Now, I have a question for you. Has God, if you are saved, has God taken up residence in your life? Yes. How has he done this? By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has come to reside in you. You have Almighty God. I don't know how he does it, but he did it. Living in you. The Creator living in you. By his Spirit. And if we're more aware of ourselves and others than God, there's something wrong. I mean, there's something radically wrong. If I'm more aware of what I want and all these other things and God's living there, I am deceived. If I'm stressed out and I'm trying to figure out the answer and I'm, I'm troubled by things and I'm trying to find a way and I'm wearing myself out and down, there's something wrong because God is right there. It's not that he's got a camera and he's watching your life. He's living in you living in me. He's there because he wants to help. He wants to assist. He wants to empower. He wants to impart to our lives what we can't get on our own or from any other source. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. What, what, what? You mean I can have the peace of God? that passes all understanding that guards my heart and my mind in the worst of times? Yeah. As long as I recognize he's there and, and turn to him and connect with him to rely on him and expectantly receive from him. Because God will never force anything on you. Do you know how, God, how close God is to you today? as close as you've allowed him. It used to bug me. Man, it just frosted me. When I would see people that are like, you know, God is so good, and he's, he's always sharing things with me and showing me things, and I thought, I'm just going to go up and talk to him. And I went up to this one lady. I'll never forget it, neither will she. <laughs> but I went up to her, and I said, you know, you, you, you trouble me. And she looked at me, sweet, sweet lady. I knew she wasn't going to deck me. So she looked at me and she said, what do you mean I trouble you? I said, you're always saying God's showing you this and revealing this and sharing this with you. And, and she said, I've never heard the voice of God. So you're lying. She said, no, I'm not lying. But I have an inward witness, an unction from the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. I said, how come he doesn't talk to me the way he talks to you? She said, he's never going to communicate with you the way he communicates with me because you're you and I'm me. I said, wow, that's true. She said, you're going to have God communicate with you the way he wants to and you need him to, but not always the way you want him to. And I had to think about that. And she said, do you spend time with God? Oh, I spend time reading the Word. I spend time praying. She said, yeah, all that is really good. It's really important, really helpful. But do you spend time with God? What do you mean spend time with God? Are you just still? Are you just quiet? Well, you know, I worship God. I do all these. No, no, no. Do you turn the music off? Do you turn the noise off? Do you turn all that chatter in your head off? No. She said, you ought to try it. And I thought, no, it can't be that simple. And I was getting frustrated again. And I ended up being quiet. Not just for a minute. 
Because I don't know about you, but when you get quiet, it gets uncomfortable, even if you're alone. And then what happens is, in my life, what pours into my brain is all the things I need to be doing instead of sitting here being quiet. And then what pours in, if that doesn't get me up and going, what pours into my brain is, you're being a fool. This isn't going to accomplish anything. And if you can wade through all that stuff and still be quiet, be still. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Somewhere, somewhere in that time that you make God a priority, you're going to become aware of God. Now, is he going to speak to you? I, I don't think you're ever going to hear his voice. And maybe you will, and I hope you do. But you're going to become aware of God. And becoming aware of God, you've got to know enough of God's word to know that it's him. Because there are all sorts of spirits out there that want to entertain you and take you on a ride. But the Spirit of God is the only spirit that you can trust. And the way you know it's the Spirit of God, whatever you hear has to line up with the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God, that's going to be your downfall. That's why it's important to know the Word of God. And all of a sudden, I started to become aware of what God making me aware of him making me aware of myself, making me aware of things. I became aware of sin in my life. I became aware of self in my life. And I became aware of my Savior like never before. And every time I get to the place where I start to get really worn down, I get really impatient. I realize that the fruit is waning and because my connection hasn't been what it needs to be. And I need to shut everything and everyone out, no matter what's going on. Because I'll be of no help to anybody until I've spent time with God. And no matter how good you are and how smart you are and how accomplished you are and how gifted you are, if it's not guided by God and governed by God, it's not going to accomplish what God wants. And that's why abiding, this abiding in him is so important. Then I'm going to end with this verse 11. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in who? What? He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Man, that's, that's, that is an amazing promise. Because Jesus changed the world. Because Jesus wasn't changed by the world. He changed the world because he was changed by his Father and the Spirit of God. And when you and I choose not to be changed by the world. We're not moved by the world, but we are choosing to allow Almighty God who is in residence, takes up residence and is present in our lives by His Spirit and His Word begins to move in our life. He'll do what He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. What is it? What is it today that you need? What is it today that you're facing that seems insurmountable or even harder, seems like you can do it? that you need to pause and stop and connect, abide, be present with God and allow God to impart to you, to impact you, to be what he has for you to be and do what he has for you to do. What is it? Like every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I look around today and 
I recognize all the faces here. And I am confident that each one has turned to and trusted in Christ, made Jesus Lord of their life. But in doing that, it's not a one-time shot. Yes, he becomes Lord of your life, but his lordship continues to be expanded in your life where he really is master. He is the one in charge. He is the one in the lead. He is the one guiding and governing. He is the one that is always consulted before we make these decisions and go our own ways. The Bible tells us we as sheep have gone astray. We've all gone astray. And we can still do it. Just like the vine grows wild. We've got to make that connection. We've got to work. We've got to battle. We've got to be intentional to keep our connection strong and vibrant. There's all sorts of things pulling us away, not just bad things. There are good things that are not the best things. And I'm going to ask you to just sit quietly for just a minute or two and listen. Listen, listen, because God had something for you in the message today. If you didn't get it, then he'll help show you right now. So you don't walk out of here without what you need to be able to be what he has for you to be and do what he has for you to do. But if you walk out of here without it, you're going to face things that are going to be insurmountable for you, but not for God. He always provides before the need is there. So, Father, right now, we choose to be still. Throughout your word, it's Selah. Pause. Reflect and listen. Show us. Father, help us to value above everything our time with you. Help us to guard it. Help us to prioritize our time, our schedules around it. Because, Father, we need to recognize that in, in you you, Lord, we live and move and have our being, as it says in Acts 17. We're going through motions. Life is doing us. But, Father, we want to do your abundant life. And the only way we can do that is with you. Thank you, Father, for living in us. Thank you, Father, for the plan you have for us. Thank you for the person of Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for the power you have available for us. Thank you for your goodness and your generosity and your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for life. Thank you for working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we were quiet.
if you heard something, if you were made aware of something, write it down. Because it's real easy to forget or to lose track of. If you didn't, I want to tell you what I heard. And it was for me, but I believe it was for everybody. You have to learn to become uncomfortable, become comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to learn to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable being quiet before God, you continue until it becomes comfortable. And you say, I came, I got up this morning for that. No, you got up for God. And when you're willing and when you're obedient, the Bible says you'll eat the best of the land, the good of the land. God has the best for you, but he doesn't have it for you just on Sunday. He has this for you every day, everywhere, all the time. Amen? Would you stand? Father,